Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, looking at Jesus' genealogy. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thank you. You may be seated. I think you know what genealogy is. That's when people trace back, you know, who their relatives are and and, uh, who they're related to and their ancestors and who came over on the Mayflower, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's lots of jokes, too, that go with uh, genealogy. Like the one genealogist said, you know, I shook my family tree and a bunch of nuts fell out. So there's that. I also read that you don't, you know, you can, you see on TV that ancestry, you send off a sample of your DNA and then they send it back and they tell you who all your relatives are. Well, I read recently that you don't need an ancestry DNA kit to find out who your relatives are. Just tell everyone you inherited a lot of money and you'll find them. They'll be at your door. There was a lady driving down the road. She was speeding and the police pulled her over. And so the officer comes up to her and says, what's your name? She says, Frida. He says, what's your last name? She says, go now. And the officer said, so you are free to go now? She said, thank you, officer, and she drove away. <laughs> Let's look at genus, Jesus' genealogy. First of all, by way of introduction, the Bible presents several lists of begats. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and so on and so on and so on. And let's be honest here, we usually skip over those, don't we? I mean, they're very tedious and the names are hard to pronounce. Why don't they name people like Joe and Bob and stuff like that? They didn't do that back then and so we skip over them. And anyway, who really cares about a list of a bunch of names? Well, the genealogies are an essential part of Scripture. In fact... That's why God included them in Scripture. The genealogies are essential because they teach us that people in the Bible are real people with a real history who lived real lives. And there is one biblical genealogy that takes precedence over all the others, and that is Jesus' genealogy that we see here in Matthew chapter 1. And what do we learn from that? We learn that Jesus was not a mythological character. He was a real person in real time with real relatives. And so as I said in the children's message, I want us to look at who Jesus is from his genealogy. First of all, I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. This is basic Christianity 101. I mean, everybody knows this or should know this. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, while it is true that Jesus was born at Christmas time, he has always existed as the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. As such, he is co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he is co-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Jesus is God in the flesh. And as such, he alone can be our Savior. Why? Because only a man could die for man's sin. And only God would be worthy. So in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we see somebody who is fully human, who can die for people's sins, but he's fully God, making him worthy to do so. I want you to know this too, and that is that God has many sons, but has only one son. God has many sons, but he has only one son. We become sons or children of God by grace through faith. John puts it this way in John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. And so God has many sons, but he has only one son, the son of God. Jesus is the one and only son of God. 
He was announced so by the angel. When the angel came to Mary to let her know that she would be bearing of this child, listen to what the angel says to her in Luke 1 and verse 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And so it was announced by the angel that he was the Son of God. It was declared by the Father that he was the Son of God. You remember when Jesus was baptized? The Bible says in Matthew 3:17, as Jesus came up out of the water, lo, there was a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Not only announced by the angel, declared by the Father, admitted by demons. Now, I know that we don't really take demons' word for anything, but in, the, in the, all of these together, you can see, but the demons were saying who Jesus was. This is in Luke chapter 4, and verse 41 says, And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You're the Christ, the Son of God. He was announced by the angel, declared by the Father, admitted by demons, confessed by the centurion. Confessed by the centurion. You might remember when Jesus died, the moment he died on the cross, there was an earthquake. And following the earthquake, the, the veil was rent in the temple from top to bottom. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then there was a centurion that was standing there at the cross, and his job was to make sure Jesus died. And listen to what he says, Matthew 27 and verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And lastly, I want you to know that Jesus as the Son of God was proclaimed by the apostles. First by the apostle Peter. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And he says, You know, who do people say that I am? And they gave all kinds of different answers. And then Jesus said, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter comes and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Apostle Paul, one born out of time, as he would say. He came later after the others. He gets saved on the road to Damascus and he goes right to preaching. He goes right to preaching. And listen to what he preached here. This is Acts chapter 9. He gets saved in chapter 9. We're not even done with chapter 9. Verse 20 says this. And right away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And so Jesus is the one and only Son of God. But interestingly, Jesus preferred to refer to himself as the Son of Man. That's his favorite term for himself, Son of Man, not Son of God. Everybody else is calling him the Son of God. He called himself the Son of Man, emphasizing his humanity. The Son of God title describes Jesus' divinity, but the rest of this time together, I want us to look at Jesus' human side, his humanity. So Jesus is the Son of God, but secondly, I want you to know Jesus is the Son of Abraham. Jesus is the Son of Abraham. We see that here in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy from Abraham through Joseph. So you see it begins in verse 2, Abraham begat Abraham. begat Isaac and so on and then look down in verse 16 where he ends it and Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus who's called Christ and so Matthew traces Jesus genealogy from Abraham to Joseph Jews traced lineage through the fathers others in the Middle East traced lineage through the fathers yet Matthew's Readers would have been interested in Jesus' genealogy through the legal line of Joseph. 
And so that's why he does this. And even though he's looking at the legal line through Joseph, and even though they usually only mention the fathers, Matthew lists several mothers. Like in verse 2, he mentions Tamar, by the way, a prostitute. In verse 5, he mentions Rahab, by the way, a prostitute. Also in verse 5, he mentions Ruth, a Moabite. He also mentions in verse 6 Bathsheba, an adulterer. And then he mentions Mary in verse 16, a suspected fornicator. Now, why do I say Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a suspected fornicator? Well, she conceived Jesus as a virgin. She and God knew she was a virgin, but nobody else believed it. You know the story. Joseph would have divorced her. Her parents would have disowned her. The townsfolk would have destroyed her. Nobody believed it. So isn't it interesting, not only are there females included in Jesus' genealogy, but these females, Tamar, a prostitute, Rahab, a prostitute, Bathsheba, an adulterer, Mary, a suspected fornicator, and Ruth, a Moabite. What do we learn from this? Well, though Jesus was perfect, he came from a line of imperfection. He was perfect, but he came from a line of imperfection. Not only were these women imperfect, but all the men listed there, they're all imperfect, we're all sinners. But something else, why the women are here, it shows the importance of women and minorities to God. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Now, I want you to go to Luke chapter 3 because Luke presents a different genealogy of Jesus. And and sometimes people try to trip you up here. Luke chapter 3, if you compare Matthew chapter 1, that genealogy, with Luke chapter 3, you're going to find out they're different. And so critics of the Bible would say, well, listen, your Bible doesn't even agree with itself where Jesus came from. Well, remember, Matthew gave us the legal line of Joseph, a legal line of Jesus through Joseph. Luke presents a different genealogy of Jesus because Luke was a doctor and he gives us the biological line of Mary. And he wants to make sure we understand that he's biological And Matthew is not. Because look what he says in verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Luke doesn't want any possibility of people thinking, hey, the reason uh, we're seeing a difference in these genealogies is because you just made the stuff up. No, not at all. Luke says Jesus is not really from the line of Joseph, biologically speaking. He's only supposed to be from the line of Joseph. Luke says, I'm giving you the biology. Matthew says, I'm giving you the legality. But what does this have to do with being the son of Abraham? Well, God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 that the entire world would be blessed through him. Here it is, Genesis 12, 3. And by the way, if you mark in your Bible, if you like to... You know, certain verses that are, they're all important, but certain verses that really stand out, this is one of them. God tells Abraham, I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. The Abrahamic line would eventually produce the Messiah. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Judah, and from Judah eventually came Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the blessing here that God promises Abraham. He says, all the world's going to be blessed through you, and that is Jesus. He's the blessing. He's the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus died for the sins of the world. 
He died for the sins of the world. His payment is sufficient to pay for every sin ever committed. But catch this, his sacrifice is effectual only for those who believe. You must believe. Without faith, his death does you absolutely no good. Well, that would certainly be enough. That Jesus would be a blessing to the entire world by dying for our sins. But beyond salvation... I want you to consider this morning how Christ has blessed the world. Now, again, that would be enough, dying for our sins. But because of Christ, our world is a much different and a much better place. Think of the world of art and the great paintings from the masters like Michelangelo and da Vinci. Do you know why these artists painted? To the glory of God. And what about music? Do you realize that musical notation is directly traceable to the church? If you play an instrument, you read music. Do you know why? Because of Christ. Because the folks way back when learned how to put notes on paper so people could play music to the glory of God. And what about the classical masters like Bach, Beethoven, and Handel? Listen to what Bach said. The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God. Why do we have this great art? Why do we have this great music? Because of Christ. He's been a blessing to the whole world. What about true science? Genuine faith has always promoted genuine science. Indeed, many of the greatest scientists have been Christians. Like Roger Bacon, who developed the scientific method, a Christian. Johann Kepler, who developed the theory of planetary motion, a Christian. Isaac Newton, who developed the theory, not only of thermodynamics, but gravity, a Christian. How about Louis Pasteur, who developed germ theory and pasteurization so you and I can safely drink milk today? Do you know why? Because of Christ. What about the field of medicine? There are literally hospitals scattered all over the world carrying on Jesus' ministry of healing. They're not built by governments. They're built by churches, by people like you who give their money to establish Baptist hospitals, Methodist hospitals, Presbyterian hospitals, and so on to carry on Jesus' ministry of healing. And think about all the medical missionaries bringing health care to the unreached. Do you know why? Because of Christ. What about in the area of education? Do you know why you can read today? You say, well, I had a really good first grade teacher. I had a really good kindergarten teacher. That's not why. The reason the general public can read today is because some folks way back when wanted the general public to be able to read God's Word, the Bible. And so they set out way back when to make sure people could read, the general public could read, so that they could read the Bible for themselves. And why would they want people to read the Bible for themselves? Because of Christ. In America, you ever heard of Brown, Dartmouth? Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Ever heard of these places? Do you know why they were founded? To train ministers of the gospel. They still do that. They don't do it well. And do you realize our own United States Congress authorized and funded a Bible to be published for schools. Hold up. To be published for schools and homes. You know when? 1782. But I thought we had the separation of church and state. I thought you couldn't bring the Bible into schools. You better go back and talk to our founding fathers. They authorized, they funded, they printed a Bible for public schools. So the boys and girls could learn to read the Word of God. 
Do you know why? Because of Christ. How about here in the United States, our own Patrick Henry? This is Patrick Henry. This is the guy, you know him. Give me liberty or give me death. You know that guy? Listen to what he said. It cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the United States of America, according to Patrick Henry, because of Christ. What about your calendars? You know, if you look at your calendar, it says we're in the year 2022, right? But it's A.D. 2022. Now, A.D. stands for in the year of our Lord. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus was born approximately 2,022 years ago. Now, some minor altering of the calendar occurred. I know that. But just for basic general purposes, Jesus was born 2,022 years ago. Why do we use the year 2022? Because of Christ. And what dating technique would we be using if we didn't use a reference to Christ? Well, Judaism was virtually unknown and would have remained so without Jesus. And the Jews, their current year is 5783. So we'd be in the year 5783. Or maybe we'd use the Chinese calendar. They're in the current year 4720. But my friends, I want you to know, when you look at your calendar and you see 2022, it is screaming out to you. Abraham's blessing. That he would be a blessing to the whole world. And not only did Jesus die for the sins of the world, but our world is a better place because of Christ. Now, three world religions actually revere Abraham as the father of their faith. The Jews, uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All three of these go back to Abraham and say, Abraham is the father of our faith. Yet only one faith has kept the faith, and that's Christianity. The Jews have gone off the deep end. The Muslims are way off the deep end. Only Christianity has kept the faith. But even so, let me say quite frankly, many groups within Christianity have erred from the faith as well. May it never be said of us. May we never err from the faith. May we never err from the very word of God. It is our guide. And it is our blessing. And so we see that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And thirdly, I want you to see that Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of David. Now, David was Israel's greatest king. In fact, son of David became another title for Messiah. You will see this sometimes as you read through Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see people, instead of calling Jesus the son of God or the son of man, they call him the son of David. And it's really just another title for Messiah. Why? Because God promised that David's throne would be established forever. Here it is in 2 Samuel 7, 16, God telling David, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise as well. Not only is he the fulfillment of Abraham's promise to be a blessing to the whole world, but he's a fulfillment of this promise to David that David would have somebody ruling forever. First of all, Jesus will rule rule on this earth for a thousand years. As I often say, the Prince of Peace will rule over this earth at peace from the city of peace, Jerusalem, and then he will rule over the universe forever, fulfilling that promise to David. 
And by the way, on Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, the people recognized the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the son of David. Now, they changed their mind a week later. But look here in Matthew 21 and verse 9. It says, And the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But do you see that? Hosanna to the Son of David. You're the Messiah, they said. Now Matthew drives home his point that Jesus is the Son of David by focusing on the number 14. In fact, look down in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon, 14. And from the carrying away into Babylon to Christ are 14. And so Matthew drives home this point that Jesus is the son of David by focusing on the number 14. Abraham to David is 14 generations. David was 1,000 B.C. David to the Babylonian captivity is 14 generations. Uh, the captivity was 586 B.C. And the Babylonian captivity to Christ is 14 generations. That would be around 3 B.C. Summarizing all three of these 14s, the first 14 is the rise of the house of David. The second 14 is the reign and ruin of the house of David. And the third 14 is the restoration of the house of David. By the way, when you read down the genealogy, David is number 14 listed in the genealogy. And so we get all these 14s, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. David is number 14. What's so important about the number 14? Well, 14 is actually a combination number. The number 7 in the Bible is used for completion or perfection. And 14 is 7 doubled or 7 times 2. 2 can refer to the incarnation, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, gematria is a type of numerology that assigns numbers to letters. So in English, A would be 1, B would be 2, C would be 3, and so on. When you add up in Hebrew the name David, guess what you get? 14. 14. So what is Matthew saying? What, what is Matthew driving home here? Matthew is revealing that God's absolute perfection, number 7 is a number of perfection, Matthew is revealing that God's absolute perfection was presented in the incarnation of Christ. That's the two who was from the line of David, 14. Oh, by the way, Passover was always celebrated on the 14th of the month. Why does that matter? Well, the Bible says Jesus is our Passover. Look what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, which means Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins and my sins on the 14th. He's the son of David. And Matthew wants to make sure that you and I understand that. So in conclusion, Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of Abraham. And he's the son of David. Now, Jesus is not only the son, though. He's the savior. And he's the only savior. The question I have for you this morning is have you received Jesus as your savior? He's the son of God. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. But is he your savior? Have you invited Jesus Christ in your heart believing he died on the cross to pay for your sins? That he was buried for your sins and the third day he rose again from the dead? Have you received him as your savior? He's the only Savior. He's the only Savior. You can't be saved by any other person, any other place, any other thing. 
He's the one and only son of God. But he's also the son of Abraham and the son of David. And so the invitation this morning is for you, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior, take it from what we've looked at today. He's the son of God. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. There's nobody else. Receive Christ as your Savior. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Gary, I received Christ as my Savior years and years ago. Then I want to challenge you. Again, read your Bible. Read all of your Bible. Even the genealogies, even the genealogies. If they weren't important, God wouldn't have put them in there. So don't just say, yeah, I read the Bible today. I read a verse or two. Read it all. It is all inspired. It is all profitable. Don't skip over anything, even the genealogies. And so we invite you this morning to receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Receive Him as your Savior. And having received Him, read His Word. All of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for this lesson. And now we thank You for this time where we respond to You. Not to the preacher, not to the sermon, but to You. If there are those here who need to be saved, Lord, save them by Your grace. And Lord, we all need to be better at reading Your Word. All of Your Word. And give us the commitment to do that, we ask in Jesus' name.